0: I'm Aaron. I'm Nicole. And we are
1: Talking, Talking Monroe's.
0: Well, welcome back. Episode five.
1: Thanks for joining.
0: Again, with your thanks for joining. Is that like your little start sign or something?
1: Yes, we have to tell everybody. We have to welcome them.
0: Okay, so then why wouldn't you say Welcome. Oh, you're just going to stare at me? Yeah. Okay.
1: I'm not sure why. I wanted to thank him, not welcome them.
0: Okay. Well, welcome, thank you for joining episode five. This episode, we're going to take on a bit of a serious, more serious topic, one that is probably going to be a bit uncomfortable for some people. I know for you, Nicole, it it was and has been a topic that sometimes is a bit uncomfortable for you to talk about, which makes great podcasting and and a lot of fun. (laughs) And I know you you asked the question before, you were like, well, how in the world are we going to have this be fun and and enjoyable and our lighthearted nature when we're talking about something so serious which is interracial relationships and interracial marriage and i'm sure we'll be able to bring our quirkiness and and funny unique views to it if not i'll just make fun of you for a while and that'll make people laugh as well well thanks so the 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 impetus for this podcast we had been kicking around a bunch of different ideas and i read an article on wednesday of last week where a filmmaker who a, a white filmmaker who was starting to date, ended up falling in love with a black woman and he had actually came from North Carolina, came from a small town in North Carolina and was concerned about having to tell his mother that he was actually dating a black woman and how she would respond. And, and of course, as you can imagine, she responded similarly to what you would think. She, she wasn't crazy or yelling or, or totally bigoted or racist or, or anything of that nature. What happened, though, was she she said, well, we just didn't do that when, when I grew up. And long story short, to, to summarize the article, what ended up happening was they were overwhelmed and really enjoyed and, and liked the young lady. The couple ended up having she got pregnant and ended up having a baby. But it's the classic happy story of over time, they warmed each other and felt great and everything was good, which you and I know is not always the case, but it was great to actually see that and hear that and read that. And that got us to talking a lot over a few days and and thinking about what we could and should talk about. And and this is a topic that's near and dear to our heart. So it was one that we should talk about.
1: I can completely relate. As you were sitting here discussing the article, it brought me back to you know, having to tell my grandmother that I was pregnant. Um, You know, it was easier to tell my mom, it seemed to be, but telling my grandmother, it was, you know, she was raised in a different time period. So to tell her, hey, you know, I'm pregnant, and not only am I pregnant, but I'm pregnant by a black man, you know, was something that was totally unheard of, just it, it didn't happen. And when going back and having conversations with her, she would say things like, well, you know, I mean, we always accepted black people. We would have black people over. We've had black people into our homes before. You know, it makes you think about, well, I have a friend.
0: Right. And the interesting thing with that is, is as we started talking and talking about some of our experiences and and some of the things that happened previously, we were went back to last summer. The, the movie Loving came out. And, and that was something that actually led us to have some conversations. And, and for those of you who don't know, the, the, the Loving movie is actually the story of Mildred Jeter, who was a black woman, and, and Richard Loving, who was a white man, who were married in the late 50s in D.C. And they actually were from Virginia. Uh, miscegenation was illegal, a, a which is interracial marrying. So they had to go in, in from Virginia to D.C. to get married went back to Virginia to live while they were there. Two months after they were actually arrested and charged with uh, miscegenation. And and that's a really tough word to say miscegenation. So what ended up happening was they were ultimately convicted of a felony and they had a year time that was suspended if they would be willing to leave the state. And would be gone for 25 years. And Leon Bazil, the the judge who presided the case in in Caroline County Circuit Court, sentenced them and said in his writing his opinion, uh, almighty God created the races white, black, yellow, Malay and red, and he placed them on separate continents. The fact that he separated the races shows that he did not intend for the races to mix. Well, obviously, that was a, a certain interpretation of religion and the Bible, which is often something that's used for that, uh, for, for racial discrimination. And so the couple had to actually leave Virginia and move to DC. They, they were from rural Virginia, wanted to live in rural Virginia, but even though they left in 1958 and lived in DC and settled in DC, they still continually snuck back to see family and friends and still live their lives in Virginia. And in 1963, They'd had enough of that, and Mildred wrote to to Robert Kennedy, who was the general, general at the time, asking for help, and he pointed her to the ACLU, who assigned two lawyers to help them. And the case made its way through the courts all the way to the Supreme Court in 1967 and was argued in front of the Supreme Court, and one of the quite possibly most beautiful lines that were ever spoken— was shared by Richard Loving when he was asked by one of his attorneys if he had anything to say or wanted to say anything before the court. What he said was, tell the court, I love my wife, and it's just unfair that I can't live with her in Virginia very moving very powerful
1: yes it was it was very moving definitely um
0: maybe you don't think it was moving maybe i
1: do think that it was very moving it just you know to reflect back on that time period the lovings married in 1958 when it was unheard of for you to marry outside of your race being able to write to robert kennedy in 1963 must have taken a lot on um on mildred's part she did say though that she was not looking to, and never was, wanted to be part of the civil rights movement. Right. She wasn't trying to make some huge stand. Um, she just wanted to be able to live with her husband and be near her family in Virginia, which the judge had told them that he would remove their—they were supposed to serve one year in, in prison, and he would take away that sentence as long as they agreed to leave everything that they had grown up with, everything that they had known— And moved to D.C. and and raised their family.
0: Right. And luckily, in a unanimous decision, the court held that the distinctions drawn around race and and the anti-miscegenation laws in 14 of the states, including Virginia and and some of the other traditional Jim Crow southern states, it it was illegal. And they had found that there was no legitimate purpose independent of individuous racial discrimination that that law was there. And so obviously it was a significant victory for the civil rights movement and the end to a lot of the Jim Crow laws that were, were happening and, and going on, which were still helping to keep the South segregated. And in that fantastic article and fantastic movie and and the thinking that we did, we went to uh, do a little bit of research and, and looked at the Pew statistics and, you know, Pew Research Center is is fantastic for that. They have a lot of great statistics. And we started thinking about interracial marriage. And when we were first married, it was very different. We, as you heard about in our origin story, we were married in 1994. It's 2018 now. So obviously it's, it's one of those things where... It, Times have changed and a lot of views have changed. So we went and looked at some of the facts about interracial marriage. And since 1967, there's been a steady rise in interracial marriage. Newlyweds were about 3% in 1967. And, and now, at least when they did it in, in 2015, it was roughly 17%.
1: Right. And, you know, while that's not a huge increase, it actually is when when you look overall um, that, you know, in 1967, there were still laws on the books about miscegenation. And, you know, essentially people couldn't be together if they were caught. They were in jeopardy of serving jail time and, you know, increasing to 17 percent in 2015 is is just uh pretty radical
0: right well it's a huge number you know it's it's almost five times it's just a little actually not almost it's over five times almost six times the rate in in roughly what's that 50 years and then in general, all marriages – again, in 1967, it was about 3% that were interracial, and now roughly it's about 10% of all marriages. So not just newlyweds, not new marriages, but all marriages for those of you who are 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, or like Liz Taylor, what's that, 7th or 8th that she had? <laughs> uh, she she believed in in the – institution of marriage, not just in the institution of being married. Or maybe she believed in the institution of being married, not just in the institution of marriage.
1: Right, right. Definitely. And, and it goes hand in hand with, you know, when, when something increases, then something decreases. Um, and so there's been a dramatic decrease in the number of those who oppose people marrying interracially. So in in 2016, 10% say they would oppose such a marriage of their family, down from 31% in 2000. The biggest decline has occurred among non-blacks. Today, 14% of non-blacks say they would oppose a close relative marrying a black person, down from 63% in 1990. So even though that number before only jumped from 3 to 17 for the number of marriages, it seems that um, people are definitely changing their views and are definitely becoming less and less opposed to interracial marriages.
0: Right. And exactly. Just overall, in general, the view has changed. But, uh, you know, we all know that a lot of people that were not that were non-white, weren't making a lot of laws in the 60s. So it, it's one of those things where now you see and you're able to see over time, as a civil rights movement has gained and has, uh, there's equal ability to have a say. And also people are able to, to meet and see and, and be with each other. And as we progress over time, that those numbers come down. And you see, Things like nearly four in ten adults say that the growing number of people marrying someone to a different race is good for society, which is up from twenty-four percent in two thousand and ten.
1: Right. And then you have nearly three in ten Asian newlyweds, twenty-nine percent were married to someone of a different race or ethnicity in two thousand fifteen, as were twenty-seven percent of Hispanic newlyweds. So it's which not- is
0: interesting because actually the highest pairing is Hispanics and, and others. So the highest rate of intermarriage is a Hispanic and white spouse at 42%, which I thought was actually, it honestly caught me off guard. I I didn't expect that.
1: It did. You know, I always thought of uh, Asian and white, um, you know, even traced back to the Vietnam War as something that was more predominant and more accepted.
0: Right, and just, you know, just a few things of the traditional interracial, or a few statistics on the what you would consider the traditional interracial coupling. Newlywed black men are twice as likely as newlywed black women to be intermarried. So, twenty-four percent of recently married black men were intermarried in twenty fifteen, compared with twelve percent of newly married black women. And then also, you've got on the other. Uh, ethnicities, 21% of newlywed Asian men and 36% of newlywed Asian women had a spouse of different race or ethnicity. So it's flipped there. African-American men and Asian women are more likely to intermarry versus their their gender counterparts. And then you've got 12% of recently married white men, 10% of white women, and then among Hispanics, it's 26% of newly married men, 28% of women. So it, it's no longer in that single-digit percentage for any of the ethnicities across all of them, both men and women. They are There is significant interracial marriage and interracial coupling across.
1: It, it, there's a lot of factors that go into it, you know, um, just the amount that people travel, the amount that people move around. Um, Also, you know, that one of the articles that I had read talked about black women and black women marrying outside of their race. When you think about the amount of black men that are incarcerated, it definitely lowers the pool of available men for black women to be marrying.
0: That's Therefore,
1: a, you know, causing them to actually, you know, if they do want to marry, basically saying, you know, you have to marry outside of your race.
0: That's a very good point. And that's something that as we talk a little more about this and we start talking about the reasons and, and the the thoughts around it, that is an important point is that we can't look at these types of statistics and and look at this information in a bit of a silo, we we really have to look and, and understand that there there are causes for these type of things that are happening, and some of them might not be positive causes. So the fact that we we have a positive thing coming from something like the mass incarceration of African American men, you know, the the actual incarceration itself is a problem and is a challenge, uh, you know, and and. I guess the thing that I would say is is that we've talked about all these statistics that came from the Pew Research Center and all the all the information that we really thought was interesting and important. I'd ask you, or, or I'd say, and this was a bit of a debate that we we had, which is, what's driving that? You know, what, what do we think is driving the change? You, you identified one of the things that you thought about the fact that it, it was, you know, mass incarceration of African American men is is one of those items. I think you also had another one that you had researched and you looked about military couples.
1: I did, yes, um, military couples. It says interracial marriages are more likely to occur within the military than outside it. The unions have nearly doubled over the last twenty years. Okay, um, and that is it, it's it's based on um, re- recruitment across international lines, and it's. Okay. Really, to not quote or to just like really talk honestly with you, if you think about all of the places that our military is placed in and the different countries that they have to go to, more and more when the military is on the ground and they have to be within the communities, you have an understanding of the different people from that community and the more you're able to have an understanding and get to know them the more those barriers are broken down and not only are you talking about race you're also talking about ethnicity you're talking about culture you're talking about religion when you're in the military you're almost forced to be exposed to these different cultures cultures religions you know just all of the different aspects um well
0: and let's be honest as as a guy you you know you're in a foreign land you're in an area where you're surrounded by people who aren't most likely your race and your ethnicity and you get to know them and you start to find them attractive and that helps to break down some of the stigma of being with somebody else who's not of your ethnicity and it's it's a lot more acceptable because it's not just you doing it. You've got a number of your peers and your friends who are also doing it in the military uh, because you're you're over there for you don't do tours for five minutes. <laughs> you do tours for months and years.
1: Right, right. You know what I mean? I, you know, Vietnam. It was just that our country was in a different place then. So many of the men that were over in Vietnam, they did have relationships with Vietnamese women, but those relationships stayed in Vietnam. Those babies that were born were born in Vietnam, and those relationships didn't carry back to the States, but it was still going on. Now, fast forward 2018, those relationships are going on in the other countries, and because the military is spending so much time on the ground and forming relationships, they're even often choosing to stay over in a foreign country to live out their life with the person that they met in the other country, or they're opting to bring back their significant other to the United States. Well,
0: and and I would say, I would also say that I think even during the, the times in the '60s and '70s, during the, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, there were some people who choose who chose to bring their a significant other back and start a family, and I, I, we don't profess to to be speaking for all of the different scenarios and all of the different people and, and cases that happen. We're just talking about our own views, our own experience and, and the research and information that we have. And so if, if you come from a different situation, we'd love to hear about that and we'd love to, to understand that more. The other thing that I, I would say is that entertainment, I believe has done, has played a large part in a, breaking down the barriers and, and changing the mystery or, or demystifying different cultures and also making it okay to idolize or uh, identify with other cultures. The, in the 60s and 70s and even 80s, the African-American culture... I would say even 90s and all the way up until maybe the early 2000s, the African-American culture was not represented very well in entertainment. You didn't see a lot of TV shows. You didn't see a lot of movies. There wasn't a lot of music outside of R&B and and jazz, which to a certain part was uh, almost a fringe. It was very heavy, classic rock, heavy metal, the country, those type of of genres that, that were more prevalent And with the influx of hip-hop and the African-American culture in radio, music, television, movies, also video games, basketball, sports, all those things also help to make it acceptable among many different cultures and ethnicities. And all of that stuff is not positive, so this is not us saying that all of the – music that you hear or movies that you see are all positive and all great examples of various cultures, not just African-American, but also white or Hispanic. But the fact of the matter is it made it closer. It made it something where people could see and they could understand and they could hear. And sometimes they actually appreciated it.
1: Right. When you talk about, you know, when we grew up and we were watching TV, they had, um, what do you call it? They had All in the Family and they had the Jeffersons. You know, there right. was no intermingling of the shows. Right. You and, and they had and,
0: caricatures on there. So like in All in the Family, you had the single black person who represented black people. And the same thing on the Jeffersons, you had the one white person who represented like a caricature of, of white people or the Asian person. And they, they played those the caricatures of each other versus real true characters and real true people that are more complex than these very simple ones that were shown.
1: Right. And, and now you have shows such as blackish, which is interesting just in the title itself. Um, you know, I mean, you have a, 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 a black family. Um, but when you look at the mom, the mom is actually biracial. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they, they don't hide that. They're, they're very open about the fact that she's biracial and, you know, hence the title black ish. It's not a full on black family they're not characters. It's a very, each, each person is a, a very dynamic individual.
0: Right. And yeah, of course, everyone has the, the Cosby show. So you've got the Cosby show that it was a, a fantastic breakthrough to show African-Americans in a, a very different light who were both well-educated, who had a very nuclear family, had a nuclear family and were what would traditionally be reserved or seen as white characteristics or, or, or a white type of family, but it made it relatable. Many of those stories, many of those shows, many of that music, it makes the cultures, the other cultures relatable. It helps to get people to understand that we're not so very different. And and on top of that, the, the population mobility is another thing, which just our example and, and just our our life and and our history is that, you know, you grew up in Connecticut, you lived in Connecticut your whole life. I lived in Connecticut three different times, but I consider myself being from Connecticut. But just in our marriage alone, we've lived in five or six different states. We've traveled a bunch. We've been around. So you know population mobile and we're not the only ones we've we've met numbers of people both interracially married and not we've got friends that lived in atlanta that now live in florida we've got friends that lived in north carolina that lived in new york we've got lots of friends that live on the west coast that grew up on the east coast so the the ability of a populace to move and like we talked about not too long ago it was you were born grew up lived and died within 50 to 70 miles of where you were born and- which is
1: what what i think if you think about the mentality of the town where we grew up there were were definitely very few non-white people that grew up in that community and you know if we had lived not us but you know when you think about the older generation they had been there for years that was their mentality. That was generation. who they were. They, you know, worked for uh, Sikorsky, Sikorsky, which was the, you know, the big place to to work during that right time, and would be right out of high school. So you're 18 years old. You start right out of high school. They built the the parts for the helicopters helicopters in the military. So great job. Um, But, you know, then you retire when you're, you know, 60, 65 years old. So, you know, you're like you were saying, you know, you're born and raised within a 50 mile radius. And that's all, you know, never being exposed to not only any other race, but any other cultures or, or culture, thoughts yes. and having started your job right out of high school or right out of coming back from the military, you lacked the education. You lacked the worldviews of what we have today.
0: I- for our military friends listening, I don't know that I'd say you lack the education. So again, if those nasty grams need to come, those come to Nicole <laughs> at talkingmonroe's not not Aaron. Do not send that to Aaron. That's I think you're smart. I think you're fantastic.
1: When I say education, I'm talking about <laughs>
0: I, I'm sure the they world
1: views but. that you gain by meeting people of different cultures and ethnicities while on a college campus per se
0: well and and i think part of of what we were talking about or or part of it is it's just it's a different mentality i I think you do get that those worldviews and you do get the ability to see others from a culture in the military the challenge is that it's more of a forward-leaning aggressive approach to a certain degree you are potentially in a country that you're an occupying force or you're in a place where you're not always welcome where like as you said uh, uh, on a college campus it, it might not be the same it's just a different mentality and then of course Those of you who who listen and who are part of it, the the millennials get a a, a very bad rap. They they get a a, a terrible rap with with all the different things that they're doing about cord cutting and killing cable and eating avocado toast and all of the (laughs) foolishness that the millennials do, which is you love you, millennials, but seriously, avocado toast.
1: Keep in mind that's that's coming to Aaron, not Nicole.
0: Yes, Aaron at TalkingMonrose.com. Absolutely. But see, the good thing is I'm about to talk about all the great things that millennials are doing, (laughs) which is the fact that an overwhelming majority of them, regardless of race, say they'd be fine with family members, married to someone of a different racial or ethnic group. So when they were asked about a particular group to which they didn't belong— Millennials are about as equally accepting of marriage to someone as any group tested. So roughly 9 in 10, about 86, 87 percent would be fine with a family member's marriage to to an African-American. So 88 uh, percent, a Hispanic-American is 91 percent, an, Amer- an Asian-American, 93 percent, or a white-American, 92 percent. So about 85, 86 percent overall. And that's compared with older groups. So, of course, those baby boomers in the older generation – Millennials have a signif- are significantly more likely to accept any interracial marriage.
1: Yeah, I mean the numbers are astounding. It's oftentimes by you know twenty percent more um, that millennials are more accepting than yes. than baby boomers. Um, you talk about the numbers are seventy three percent among thirty to forty nine year olds, fifty five percent among fifty to sixty four year olds, and just thirty eight percent of those ages sixty five and older are okay uh with interracial marriage
0: right with someone exactly with someone a a family member being willing to to be married which again that that you know logically makes sense because you look at it and you say those 65 and older were probably coming up right around the time before and then coming of age in marriage right around the loving's time and then as the civil rights movement has grown and as all of these things that we've been talking about have actually become more and more in place, the views have changed. And it's not only in marriage. I I know you looked up something about the dating as well.
1: Right. And, you know, when you talk about military couples, you talk about entertainment, you talk about population mobility and, and, and the millennial acceptance. The millennial acceptance is coming from the things that they've been exposed to just in their short lives. Things have changed. Things have been in place. Probably some of them, you talk about millennials. I mean, they're born in what, like 1994? Mm-hmm. So you think about how it would have been in 1994 compared to, you know, how it was, say, in like 1967 when you were dealing with what the Lovings went through and just the civil rights movement and how far we've come.
0: It's interesting if you think about it, our oldest two have a different experience and and have a different sensibility than our, our younger three who really are millennials and have grown up during that time.
1: Yes, you know, and 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 they're they're dating. All of them actually, their dating experiences have been very different compared to maybe the reactions that we received when we first started dating. Millennials, forgive me for using a term, but is 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 almost like a uh, a melting pot. Yes. you know, they, they. You think about people living in the metropolitan areas and just how many different. Cultures, religions, ethnicities, races live in those areas and, and the amount of people that because more and more people are traveling outside of just their fifty mile radius where they were, you know, born and raised, are being able to experience you know, without having to join the military, you know, I was talking about joining the military and people being in other countries. But, you know, you can go into large cities, you can go to New York City, you can go to Chicago, you can go into Baltimore right. and, and have the same experience that you would without having to go to college, without having to travel overseas.
0: Well, and and one of the things that they they pointed out was, as we talked about dating, to finish up the topic or thought on dating and millennials, nearly 93% uh, of 18 to 29-year-olds agree with the statement, I think it's all right for blacks and whites to date each other. So, again, a, a majority of them think it's okay, but... To, to continue on with what you were saying is that as you move around, as you see other people, as you are exposed to other experiences and, and other ethnicities, it, it, you feel more comfortable and more common. And there's actually a, a number of, of research studies that have been done that show that those who are college educated are willing to be interracially married or dating more than the same people of a race, racial class If they've only done some college or if they've actually done no college. So those who only have a high school education on average are about five to 10 percent lower than those who have some college, which are, again, about five percent, 10 percent lower than those who've graduated college. And in some instances, like Hispanics and blacks, it's it's the difference between high school and actually graduating college is about 20 to 30 percent willingness to be able to either interracially date or get married.
1: And, uh, you know, going back to what you were saying before, you made a knock on me, but that's fine. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> but you were saying, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to do with your smarts or your intelligence as far as um, often accepting interracial relationships. It has to do, in my opinion, it has to do with the people that you're exposed to. In high school, you are exposed to the people that are within your own community. You don't have people outside of your community, usually attending your high school. So, you know, even if you just have some college experience, now you're going to college with people from all sorts of communities that are now on one campus and you are building relationships and gaining better understandings of those people.
0: Agreed. Absolutely. And and also with that, what you'd see and what you'd find is you talk about how the world is shrinking, the internet. The internet has, has had a huge impact on that. The ability to explore and to see other cultures and other areas and other information and communicate with other people. There's a negative backlash that's happening and starting to happen now with people becoming more insular and only searching out the people with their same views and, and ideas. But I think for the large majority, it allows people to connect and to see things and see information and con- and, and communicate with other people of other ethnicities of other views and 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 we've talked about race a lot but it's just also views itself being exposed to other people's views and understanding will change your views and potentially change your views on working with the and dealing with and partnering with somebody from another race. We've we've talked about a, a lot of this stuff and this is something that we we don't normally talk about we talked about early on in our relationship and then we haven't talked about it. For those of you who, who aren't in an interracial relationship, to think that conversation is always about interracial relationships and interracial things, it, it's actually not the case. But what I would say is it's always there. So Nicole and I view things very differently. And occasionally we will, we will talk about those things, but it's not something that we talk about every day. And I think that's different than what I would say we did before we were married. You started talking about that with your grandmother. Before we were married, what were your thoughts about african-american males and dating because i know that you didn't date any african-american males other than myself and i know that when we were starting to date there was one hispanic guy that you were kind of interested in but for the most part i think you mostly dated white guys
1: i did and, and i don't know if it was uh, well i do know it wasn't because i had an objection to doing it it was what the dating pool the availability of the dating pool um in the town where we grew up that's there an was- important
0: that's actually an important Point.
1: There was five non-white families at most. I mean, we went to high school.
0: I was one of those five. <laughs>
1: when when we went to high school, I could literally count on one hand how many non-white students I went to high school with, and so that that does limit who you can have relationships with.
0: Yes, that's a good point that you brought up that we hadn't talked about was the fact that the the pool and I think that kind of goes to population mobility that we talked about the pool that you have to choose from it, it makes a difference
1: and you know I don't I don't think that my parents or my grandparents really we never talked we never talked about it um, there were no conversations about black people there were no conversations about hispanic people that they, there they just weren't around so there was never any reason to have any kind of conversation about it i never had a conversation with my mom about you know do you accept black people do you accept hispanic people do you accept asian people it wasn't until i had to tell them that i was pregnant and they
0: had statistic <laughs> <laughs>
1: they, um, you know, met you and, you know, knew that obviously you were a black male. and just kind of hard to hide. (laughs) Just the the comments that come from that afterwards of, oh my gosh, not only is your life going to be hard, now what are you going to do? You're going to have a biracial child and their life is going to be so difficult. And what do you really know about raising a black baby? Because, of course, the baby's not looked at as coming from both sides that baby is now you're raising a black baby. How are you going to raise a black baby? What is your knowledge on that? What is your knowledge on, on the, the, the African-American culture?
0: And, and you raise a lot of very good points and, and you point out a lot of interesting challenges. Part of that too, was even our friends that we were friends with for a really long time. It was okay. It wasn't a big deal to date interracially, but When we actually started talking about having a child and and when we actually started in the situation where we were going to have a child, it was seen very different and and it was something that was viewed differently.
1: Looking back on our friends, you know, it was it was like it was okay to experiment, but you knew where your place was in society when it came time to marry that you were going to marry within your race
0: one of the things I would say that for me was that you had said it wasn't really discussed. And I would say in, in my relationship with my parents, it was always discussed. It was always something that we talked about. It was always something that we reviewed and, and really were open about my mom was very open with me about it. And, and really talked about the fact that in her mind, she didn't care what person, you know, whether it was race or, uh, Religion or anything like that. Her big thing was just she always wanted to make sure that the person I was with loved me and cared about me and took care of me in the sense of from a partnership perspective. And that was something that was I would I would tend to say is more pervasive in African-American culture. But My friends were they were the same thing. You know, there was a lot of conversations that I had with my friends who I had did have lots of African-American friends, as well as lots of white and Hispanic and, and Asian friends. And we all talked about the fact of be careful. And there's all those stories that you see of, I would just say, males of color who start dating and, and fooling around and, and having a, a physical relationship with somebody outside of their race, and they end up getting somebody screaming rape or crying that they assaulted them and, and getting end up locked up. We talked about being the incarceration problem that we have in the country. So It's no
1: happened. different than the, the views that we share with our children now being... That they come from an African-American father, you know, so they are looked at as society looks at them. They will be looked at as black when it comes to certain situations. I mean, I think other topic, (laughs) other podcast, other topic, you know, talking about the difference maybe between growing up black and, and growing up other other races. But there are definitely differences when you are growing up black and the things that you do discuss with your families as opposed to when you're white and you, you know, you grew up and, and you you don't have to think about a lot of things. Your mom saying something to you of she just wants you to be with somebody that's going to love and respect you, which growing up through the civil rights you you just as an individual always wanted to be respected and be loved
0: right so i think and our experiences were not ones that were you know we didn't get married in the mid 80s or something or early 80s we were married in 94 so it's been 24 years now that we've been married and it, it definitely is views have significantly changed but what about your thoughts and what are your thoughts on our experiences and through marriage as we move around you know we've like I said we've lived in the the far north we lived in New England we've lived most of our time below the Mason Dixon line North Carolina Maryland Florida uh, we actually lived in Pennsylvania for a short period of time so we've lived around a, a bunch what are your what do you remember as we moved around
1: It's interesting it was always what was uncomfortable for me was always looking around and you being the only black person in the crowd, you know, and me being uncomfortable for you. Um, you know, I mean, I remember going into restaurants and not being served people coming in after us, white couples coming in after us and, you know, them receiving a table or them receiving water or the waiter assisting them prior to we could sit there 20 minutes and, you know, never having received any help. You know, I remember going into a grocery store and me going one way and you going another way and security following you around the grocery store.
0: Hey, Yes, that and and you used to get so frustrated and so upset by that stuff, and I used to laugh. And it, it would be one of those things where I was like, what, what do you think, I'm going to steal some peaches or something or, you know, some broccoli? Right. But it, it would be... Uh, For me, it's been largely positive. It's been largely – it's been one of those things where it it wasn't unusual for me. A lot of the stuff that we experienced is stuff that I was used to experiencing, but – uh, I would tell you, I, I honestly, in, in my heart of hearts and, and mind of minds, when we were married, I, I thought it would be a lot harder. I thought we would get a lot more discrimination. And I don't know if it was just that we were very vigilant or I was very vigilant. And we were careful and, and thoughtful about the things that we did. And like I said before, I'm, a, I'm a, in my podcast, my origin story, I'm a risk averse person. So we never did anything. I was always very conscientious about the things that we did.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I in researching for this podcast, you know, one of one of the things that one of these states where um, misogyny became uh, the,
0: oh the anti miscegenation.
1: Yeah, the anti miscegenation that when they talked about the different states that finally ended it and one of the last two states to end it, I think, was Alabama and I think Mississippi. You know, I mean, when you talk about the things that we. Oh,
0: you're going to tell the story about when you came to visit me and jumped off the off the train and gave me a hug in montgomery alabama in uh, that did come to my
1: mind because mm-hmm. that was in 1993 and it wasn't yes. until i could i don't remember it the date it was 2000 yeah. i want to say it wasn't until 2000 that yeah. alabama finally outlawed
0: yeah. misogyny cute, cute short white girl <laughs> from connecticut down in the deep south in in, uh, in montgomery alabama comes jumps off the train after a 28-hour ride and jumps on the the dark black male and starts kissing him and the dark black male then throws you off and goes whoa whoa whoa, 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 whoa. we're in Alabama I don't
1: know you move exactly we're in Alabama <laughs> what, are you doing? what are you doing exactly
0: and then we go get into my friend's borrowed Mercedes Benz uh, and shout out to Max and drive back to Auburn but you'd never been to Alabama before you no. just you didn't even think about like which was I think you so, think
1: about it that's the difference between well, growing up I think I want to say growing up African-American and growing up white, I had no reason to think about it.
0: Right. When well, I think it was honestly, I thought, I thought it was kind of beautiful and in hindsight now, you know, it's, it's very beautiful that you didn't even think about that. You didn't even see it. It was just, you saw the, the person that you really cared about and loved and you were so happy to see them. And, you know, I guess that says something about you and it says something about me who was like, whoa, 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 whoa. let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, get out of here.
1: Right. But when what I, I was actually going to talk about was, you know, you being a risk averse person, you know, yes, you were in college in Alabama, but it's not something that we would have gone on a trip down to Alabama or gone and visited Mississippi. You just it's not something that you go and, Mississippi and do. Mississippi is a
0: fine state, I hear. I I'll, I'll probably will never know. I, I hear it's a great state, but just as an FYI, Mississippi has the lowest interracial marriage at 3% still.
1: There were things that when we went on a road trip, we made sure that you know our headlights weren't broken, that our registration was up to date, that we had our insurance and we had our registration Drove on us and that limit, we had our driver's license. All the, and. All the... <laughs>
0: Traffic laws? Absolutely. Yes, Which is why you yes, couldn't drive. Yes. Miss crashing cars and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. End up some backwater jail because you driving 216 miles an hour or something.
1: But I do remember being in North Carolina and being in the grocery store and there being a bunch of farmers in the grocery store and... And them talking about the black people that lived around them and they were talking about the ones that were lazy and shiftless. And then they were talking about the ones, well, you know, he's a good black person because, you know, he does his work and he goes, he, 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 he's out taking care of what he needs to take care of every day. So there were definitely different views. Now, obviously, they have felt comfortable talking about it in front of me. You weren't with me. So they were OK discussing it.
0: Which I think is is. Hopefully, an, an important thing to think about, and in, in that, what's comfortable and what's accessible and what's okay, which is what you can and can't say, or what you what's acceptable to say in front of people. I, I hope I, I I'm an optimist. i have always I've always been an optimist, but I, I hope that it has changed. But I know that to a certain degree, it is not some of it's gone underground, but that was one of the things that I I said about living in New England versus moving down to the South, which is in New England, you have people that will smile in your face and and do very terrible and nasty things and say very terrible and nasty things behind your back, where at least in the South, I I knew where we stood. And I knew if people didn't like us, they didn't like us and they were going to say they didn't like us and they were going to avoid us. And so it was a lot easier to, to live and deal with. And I, I know that, that for many people, they might react to it a certain way and they might say that it's totally not that case and we're stereotyping and all we can say and all I can say is that it's our experience and it's something that we lived and we dealt with and, and that's what we experienced. And we're not going to, to generalize and say that that's how it is everywhere, but it's how and and what we experience.
1: Right, definitely. You know, I mean within this podcast itself, other than the, the few few statistics or the the loving family that we discussed, this is all basically our our personal experiences, which could be very different from somebody else's personal experience.
0: Well and, and one last thing. So let's talk about our kids. So dear and dear to your <laughs> what heart. What about them? Well, one of the last research topics, one of the last items from the Pew Research Center that I, I found very interesting is that one in seven infants, 14 percent are multiracial or multiethnic. And that's tripled since 1980. As of 2017, it's 14 percent and it's nearly tripled. It was five percent in 1980. All of. Thank
1: you, millennials.
0: Yes. (laughs) So all of the things that we've talked about, it it, it kind of wraps up to say not only are a lot of these trends changing as we've seen and we talked about the numbers, but the trend is that it's going to continue and our kids are, are obviously very good examples of, we have five children, four boys, one girl, and all of them obviously are multiracial, but all of them as well have different preferences and, and date different kinds of people. So we have one who's dating a fantastic guy who is actually Hispanic. And we have our, our oldest son who is dating A young lady who is actually multicultural, but she's actually, for those of you African-American folks like me who had parents who used to talk about it, where she's Caribbean and she could actually pass. She is she's very fair skinned and and you would never know that she was multiracial or Caribbean. He generally has tended to date more fair skinned, almost white girls, if you would. We have one of the twins who is heavily really likes and desires females who are Hispanic or black, one who is kind of Hispanic and white girls. And we have our youngest who we're not sure yet. We'll, we'll see what his preference Hopefully
1: we are. don't have to worry about that for a while.
0: Correct. But the, the reality is that it's obviously something that we've discussed and, and we've talked about and they've experienced because many people ask them if they're Hispanic because they are the, the olive, more darker skin and, and the hair and, and they, they look more Hispanic than they do biracial. What's interesting about that is that they've really grown up in a society that views multiracial both people and also relationships a lot differently as we talked about.
1: I think it's interesting to see them, you know, not only for their their relationships but you know how they they see themselves. Yes. And I think how they see themselves has a lot to do with how they identify.
0: Right. And our hopes for them, at least what we've talked about and and In a a relationship perspective, is the same thing that my mom's hopes were for me, which is find somebody who loves you. Don't worry about any of the other stuff. Find somebody that you love, you can trust, you can partner. All the classic things that you'd say about finding a good partner in life and not the things that you'd say about whether or not they're a specific color or a specific religion or a specific anything else.
1: Right. And, you know, as I was discussing before about the dating pool that was available to me, I never looked at, you know, well I'm dating a white person or I'm dating a Hispanic person or I'm dating a black person.
0: Yes, you did. <laughs> I know you did. I'm sure you
1: did. You know, when you came along, you were just such a great guy that it really didn't well, matter is what that. your well, race was. You know, there is
0: that. Flattery <laughs> will get you everywhere with me. So.
1: And, you know, I mean, Again, being a white person and things that I never really had to think about before, but now having children that are of different ethnicity, just really viewing it and and saying, just like your mom said, I just want somebody to treat them right and with the respect and love that they deserve.
0: Correct. And I believe for the most part, I found that. I don't know your Jerry's still out we've been together 24 years but what is all that noise you're making <laughs> over there sorry. what in the world are you doing
1: i forgot did to you
0: fall my... off the stool when i said for the most part we we got
1: i that? did the ultimate no-no and forgot to put my phone on vibrate and then got nervous and dropped it on the counter mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. i need to like have a little thing that says like recording now turn off your phone or something <laughs>
1: like in the movie theater
0: (laughs) yes exactly
1: turn off your cell phone
0: yes i'm gonna have to ask your phones i'm gonna gonna have to ask you to leave now please you you didn't silence (laughs) your phone well unless you have anything else i think that we're done you survived this one
1: i did yes you were
0: really nervous about this one so i don't know why though well you're really nervous about all these things because i don't know
1: because i have to talk
0: well that's the introvert and you talking so which is, I guess that's just an introvert and you coming out because you don't really like talking, so. No. Well, thanks for listening.
1: You stole my line.
0: I did. You could say it too.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Nobody's listening. Hey, everyone. Aaron here. Just wanted to take a minute to thank you for listening and remind you to click subscribe in your podcast app so you're notified when new episodes are available. Also, please make sure to leave a review. We love hearing your feedback, and it helps others find us. If you're looking for more Talking Monroe's content, make sure to stop by our website, TalkingMonrose.com, or follow us on Twitter, at Monroe's Talking. We appreciate you being part of our podcast family and look forward to talking with you again. Thanks for listening.